I, I didn't know that song. You brought a new one on me there. Uh, good morning. How's everybody? Good, good. Good to see you. Uh, we're talking about renewal here on Sunday mornings for a few weeks. We began last week as we talk about foundations for renewal. Uh, renewal is when life comes. It's uh, bringing life back. And oftentimes we find ourselves feeling lifeless. Sometimes our churches are lifeless. In fact, uh, I read about one new pastor in a small town in Oklahoma a new pastor at a church, had made visits and was doing all he could to involve people in the life of the church. And um, after finally one last Sunday of the church building being all but empty, um, the pastor made a declaration. He said, the church is dead. And not only did he tell the few people who attended, he told everyone. And he even alerted the media and put out ads that this church is dead and that we're going to give it a proper burial. And that there would be a funeral held the following Sunday, he said, and everybody should come and be a part of giving this church a proper burial. Well, people are sort of morbid, you know, and curious, so a large crowd, more than in a long time, turned out at the church on a Sunday afternoon for the funeral for the church. And in front of the pulpit, they even saw a closed coffin, even with flowers across it, and the pastor offered a eulogy of the church and gave the history of the church and talked about, you know, the life of the church and now that it was over. And uh, he even opened the coffin and invited those who attended, many in the con members of the congregation, to come forward and pay their final respects to their dead church. And uh, he even told them, when you come by, when you look inside the coffin, you're going to see who was responsible for the church dying. So filled with curiosity, of course, uh, as to what represented the, the corpse of a dead church, all the people lined up eager to look in the coffin. And each mourner who peeped into the coffin quickly turned away because in the coffin, tilted exactly the right angle, was a large mirror. And when they walked by the coffin and they looked in to see the, 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 what was there, they saw who was responsible for the death of the church. And it was them. It was, it was the people. They were dead. They were lifeless. And as a result, the church was lifeless. And so renewal is about bringing life to dead places. And we're going to talk about some of the things that do that. And uh, never was the church more alive than in the book of Acts, of course, right? And so we go this morning to Acts chapter 2. And I want to share with you some thoughts from there. Uh, remember now, the church has gone from Jesus, uh, dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended with 12 to 120 in the upper room where the Holy Spirit comes. And now we find Peter preaching, and we find the Spirit of God moving. And look what is said here beginning in verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. We're going to take part in baptism next Sunday. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's a pretty good day, huh? So they go from 12 to 120 to 3,000 that quickly. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, or in the teaching. And that's what we talked about last week, was the preaching of God's word, the teaching, the doctrine. And, he says, in fellowship. That's what we're going to talk about today. And in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the fear of the Lord came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And now all those who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God for having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Today I want to talk about fellowship. It's a renewal uh, in the church of fellowship. Uh, as we start down this road this morning, I want you to keep a thought in mind. Is church just something you go to or is it who you are? Is it just somewhere you attend or is it what you're a part of? Let's talk about this word fellowship this morning. If you're taking notes, I hope you will. Write in there first the meaning of fellowship. Let's just talk about the meaning of fellowship. I think the word fellowship is something that is overused and undervalued. Sort of what Henry was talking about with this word awesome. We overuse it, but we undervalue it. And I think fellowship is that way. Well, our word fellowship comes from a Greek word used in Scripture. Many of you know this. That Greek word is what? Koinonia. All right? That's the word. Koinonia. K-O-I-N-N-O-N-I-A. It also can be translated as partnership. That's another way that it is said. Partnership. It's a partnership in the life of Jesus. Listen, I, you know, when I was a kid, I thought fellowship was two fellows in a ship, right? I mean, that's just what it seems like. That's what it says, two fellows in a ship. Um, but it's more than that, and it's more than a social activity. I can also remember thinking that fellowship only happened in the hall, right? The hall, the fellowship hall. That's where you fellowship. It didn't happen anywhere else. That was where you fellowship. And I remember that, and I remember not being too excited about it, because that was usually the place where there were still cookies and watered-down Kool-Aid, right, in the fellowship hall. That didn't excite me too much. Um, every now and then, there'd be a good meal. Uh, but every hall in the church, every room in the church ought to be a fellowship hall, right? It really should be. It's a, it's a partnership. It's a togetherness. I always cringe, and I get it, and I've used it. But, boy, I wish there was a better way to say something besides food, fun, and fellowship. <laughs> and as a preacher, I understand you want to use th you know, the, the, the letters all start with the same, the words all start with the same letter. I get it. It's, it's kind of catchy. Food, fun, and fellowship. But we sort of throw those things together like they sort of are synonymous and like they go together. Listen, this word fellowship carries the meaning of, uh, of, of, of a common sharing. It's a commonality. It's a sharing. It's a joint participation, if you will. It's a oneness. All of these words help us sum up what this word fellowship is. And we find it there in verse 42 when it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the preaching, the teaching of God's word, and in fellowship. They continued together. They continued in partnership. They continued in common. They continued in oneness. And then it goes on to explain many ways in which this happened. They had all things in common, fellowship. Fellowship is both vertical and it's horizontal. It's vertical, and you'll hear it both ways. Have fellowship with God, but then we fellowship with others. And honestly, if you're not fellowshipping with God, if you're not in oneness with God, if you're in not partnership with God, if you're not in commonality with the things of God, then you're not really experiencing fellowship vertically. You're just not. And if you're not experiencing it vertically, you're not really experiencing it horizontally either. They go together. It's both. It's not and or. Fellowship is a, it's vertical and it is horizontal. It's vertical because of Jesus and it's horizontal because of Jesus. So what are we sharing in common that allows us to enjoy fellowship with God and with one another? It's Jesus. That's what we share together. We can sum it up that way. See, when you accept Jesus into your life and your heart, you're born again into the family of God. And when I receive Jesus into my life, I become born again in the family of God, and I'm a part of his family, and, we, and you're part of his family, and we enjoy fellowship 
together. It's both. It's a proper relationship with the Father and a proper relationship with the family. That's what it is. Other believers in the church. And listen, I know that can be hard sometimes because of the people, right? That's what people, you know, we always say, man, I love the church if it just wasn't for the people, right? <laughs> but that's what the church is. It's the people. When they go and look in that coffin, that's what they saw was themselves. That's who was responsible for the death of the church, the people. And there's not a perfect church out there. I know we're, everybody's searching for one. Everybody's looking for one. And when, uh, when they think they see a perfect church, this, this church has just got it. They go and everybody wants to go be a part of that church. And I would say this to you. There's not a perfect church out there because the people are not perfect, right? And if you do think you found a perfect church, don't join it. Don't become part of that fellowship because you will mess it up, <laughs> right? Because you're not perfect and it won't be perfect anymore. You'll mess it all up. So it's the people. It's the people. And we got to be right with God and we be right with others. It's vertical and it's horizontal. It's much what we talked about this summer when we talked about love all summer long. And we talked about loving God and we talked about loving others. And we talked about loving with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself. It's the same concept. It's consistent all through scripture. So it's the meaning of fellowship. And then let's talk about the expressions of fellowship. The expressions of fellowship. How does this express? Well, we fellowship in the gospel. Did you know that? In the gospel. That's the first one I want to point out to you. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel. The gospel, the good news that we spent time on, that we spent time studying here these last few months. It's the good news that creates a supernatural affinity between God, the believer, and other believers. It connects us in a supernatural way. It's that good news. We fellowship in the gospel. Did you know that you were not only um, created to believe? We, we stress belief, especially in the Baptist church. We have to believe right. We, we, we stress it. But you're, you weren't created just to believe. You were also created to belong, and it's the gospel that, we, that brings us together, that unites us in so many ways. Reader's Digest years ago had an article entitled, What Good is a Tree? And the article, it explained that when the roots of a tree are touching, the roots below the ground, the surface, when they're touching, there's a substance that's released that reduces the competition between the trees uh, for what, it need, what they need to be healthy. It's a, a fungus that helps link roots of different trees even if they're different species. And a whole forest can be linked together. So while we see individual trees, if you look below the surface, you'll see those trees are really connected together in their root system. So if one tree has access to water, another has access to the nutrients, and if another, a third, has access to more access to sunlight, then that means that those trees will have the means to share with one another and support one another. They'll share with one another. And you know what? We all have the same root system. We're all rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while we may look and think we're individuals, actually individuals, if we look below the surface, we would see that we are all connected. And we need to branch out and touch one another. We need to fellowship with one another, spend time with one another, relate to one another, get to know one another, encourage one another, so that we can be all God wants us to be. We fellowship in the gospel, in the good news. It's good news that brings us together. But then the Bible also talks about, Paul talks about in Philippians, again, about fellowshipping in the Spirit. 
We fellowship in the Spirit. He says in Philippians 2.1 that if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, he said, if any fellowship of the Spirit, he's saying this is healthy. He says the fellowship of the Spirit, of the, of the Spirit, it's a spiritual thing, not a worldly thing. I want you to know that. That fellowship is spiritual. It flows from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is in the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual thing. Now listen, the world will always come along with a perversion of anything God has given us. God gives us fellowship. It's biblical. The world always comes along with a perversion or with an alternative, but it's not the real thing. You see, the world will tell you that you can have fellowship. They may call it different things. They may call it family, which again is a biblical word. That's God's word. God gave us the family, right? I see people say, I'm with my baseball family, or I'm with my work family. Or I'm, you know, all, you know, all these different, you know, I, I, this is, you know, I, I'm in this group or that group. And, and listen, those things are, are just um, substitutes for the real thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a lot of those things, okay? But you can't put those in the place of spiritual fellowship. They don't, they, they, it doesn't fit. Listen, true spiritual fellowship is more than just sort of doing life together. I know we throw that term around, we'll do life together. You can do life together and completely leave God out of the mix. Leave, God, leave the Spirit of God out of it. You can get together and you can have hobbies. You can have affinity groups. You can you know, have all kinds of things that you have in common. You can go do all those things. You can play ball together. You can crochet together. You can, you know, you can take pictures together. You can have hobbies. You, know, all the, you can have all of those things. But without the Spirit of God, it's not true fellowship. Fellowship is in the Spirit. It's a spiritual exercise. And true fellowship will include the elements that we saw here. Prayer. You saw that they said they continued in prayer. They continued in the doctrine, in the study of God's word. We know that they served, that they gave financially, that they had a common cause. It's more than just a hobby. Fellowship's not having a common hobby. So fellowship is in the spirit. But then I also want you to know that true fellowship is also, it's of suffering. The fellowship of the suffering. Paul goes on and says in chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of what? His sufferings. Are y'all with me? He said, I, I can know him and, and I can be in the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Listen, fellowship will cost something. It costs something. Let me ask you something. When's the last time being part of the fellowship at Smoke Rise cost you something? You see, we're mainly in it for the convenience. And when it's convenient, we're all for it. But when it becomes not so convenient, when it becomes a little tough, when it becomes a little hard, and it's not as convenient, it's not as fun, then we, some people will move on. And they will find, try to find fellowship somewhere else. Listen, it'll cost you something. It's not always going to be easy. Many see church as a matter of convenience. They see, what can the church do for me? It, it's, it's about convenience. And so we shop and we, we we church shop and we look around but listen jesus didn't die for our convenience he died one of the main re big reasons he died so that we could have fellowship so that we would have this life that we share together in the gospel in the spirit and in the suffering see it's, it's you have to give something we used to have it at our house we don't have it anymore because now we got a new refrigerator you know and you can run the water the filtered water but we used to have a pitcher in the refrigerator a lot of you probably grew up or remember this you'd have a pitcher in the refrigerator cold water right and so i remember so many times i would go to that pitcher looking for some cold water and 
you know, might be out working in the yard or just, you know, you're thirsty and you come and you want some cold water and you pull that pitcher out, and what would it be so often? It'd be empty. <laughs> and I felt like every time I pulled the pitcher out, it was always empty. Why? Because I felt like other people, including this guy right here, he's younger, all right, but they were drinking out of the pitcher, but they weren't putting any water back in it. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you go and you, you, it's, the pitcher's empty? We, we have to refill it. We have to continue to put in. We, we want to enjoy what we can get out of church. But oftentimes we're not interested in what we can put into church, what we put into the fellowship. So it's in the suffering as well. There's going to be times where it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But that will only draw us closer together. It will only make our fellowship sweeter when we come through those times. So we have the meaning of fellowship. We have the expressions of fellowship. Now let's talk quickly about the importance of a fellowship. Listen, this will bring a church to life. This will bring your life back to life, your personal life, individually. Fellowship builds faith. That's why it's important. It'll build your faith. It will. During World War II, the Japanese conducted experiments to find out the most um, effective type of punishment so they could extract information from prisoners. And they found no surprise, that solitary confinement was by far the most effective type of punishment. After a few days, they found of solitary confinement, practically everyone would break down and tell everything they knew. You know why? They needed fellowship. They needed to be together. Because without it, they became easy prey for temptation, easy prey for discouragement, easy prey for the attacks of the world, easy prey for the attacks of the enemy solitary confinement you weren't made to go at it alone did you know that you just weren't you weren't made to live the christian life sort of as a solo you're not made that way you're not wired that way you're just not and listen you can't become who god created you to be without others and there's others who can't become who god created them to be without you we need each other. God made us that way. Look at Proverbs 27, 17. You know this verse, many of you. It's iron sharpens iron, so one man, one person sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need one another. It's an old illustration, but it's so true. If you take a pair of, of tongs and reach into a, a burning, heat-filled fire in a fireplace or a, a fire pit, and you pick out a coal, you pull a coal out of that, and you set it down by itself, what will happen? That coal will quickly burn out, won't it? It's because the coals, they, they, they feed off one another. They're hotter because they're together. And Billy Graham once said, churchgoers are like coals in a fire. When they cling together, they keep the flame glowing. But when they separate, they die out. And fellowship is the way that we stay together. It's the way that we come together. It's the way that we partner together. It's the way that we're one. It's through fellowship. Ecclesiastes tells us in all the wisdom, Solomon says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. There's power in fellowship. He says if either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls down and has no one to help them get up. He says we need each other. It'll build your faith. 
You're not going to stay hot for the Lord very long out on your own. But fellowship not only builds our faith, it's important. You're not going to grow in your faith, and others are going to be stunted in their growth because we need one another. But fellowship also builds relationships. It builds relationships. You can't have fellowship without relationships. It's impossible. You, you just can't. You can't fellowship without a relationship. And so one of the wonderful things about being a Christian is that the Christian life never has to be a lonely life. Did you know that God addressed loneliness way back before he even ever had to address sin? Sin is in Genesis chapter 3, but where does loneliness show up? God looks down at Adam and says, it's not good for what? For man to be alone. Loneliness is not a result of sin. Loneliness was there present. He says it's not good for man to be alone. So he created him a helpmate. And we see, I believe, a demonstration in Acts chapter 2 that they were fellowshipping, that they were together, that they had all things in common, that they were sort of feeding off one another. The church was never more alive than it was in these moments. We see this demonstration of what God had already declared in Genesis when he said, man should not be alone. You see, it is relational. You can't get around the relationship part of this. If you think that you can just kind of come to the gatherings of, the, of a church and that you cannot engage in the church relationally and still grow or still become what God would have you to be or be used by God the way he would want to, you're fooling yourself. You can't. That's why it's very dangerous to, to, to have to, to, to not have a really good way to take people who do come to a gathering and not have a really good way to move them from a large group to a small group. Very, very, you got to have it. You, you must have it. It builds relationships, and relationships are the key to fellowship. You see, the church is described as a body that has many members. It's a vine that has many branches. It's a temple that has many stones. It's a family that has many children. And so there's more to it than us just meeting together in the large group. And we often use this verse in Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up, the, the, stir up love and good works. He said, let's think about one another in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's, think, let's consider one another. Now, for fellowship to happen, you'll have to think about other people some. You can't always think about yourself. But that's our tendency is to think about I. How does this affect me? Not how does it affect the body. Not how does it affect the family. Not that how does it affect the, the branch. How does it affect me? But he says, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then he goes on, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We have to assemble as the habit of some are. But exhorting one another, encouraging one another and do it even that much more as you see the day of his return approaching. He says it's important that we gather together. And listen, it's amazing that we should never have to convince believers the need to meet together. We shouldn't have to guilt people. <laughs> we shouldn't have to browbeat people if they're true believers to meet together. He says it's key that if we're going to stir up love and we're going to stir up good works among the family, among the fellowship, if we're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, we've got to do it. He said that's how we're going to exhort one another. That's how we're going to be ready when the Lord 
returns. But look, it's not just a spectator event. When he says gather together, we use this so often to think that, that this is just, you know, we got to just come to church and sit in a seat and, you know, listen and do all. And yeah, that's all part of it. You need that exhortation of God's word like we talked about last week. But it's more than a spectator event. Uh, it, it, we meet with a goal, and that's to stimulate spiritual growth among one another. And we do that in a large group, but we also do it in smaller groups as well. Sometimes people will say, well, I want to be in a church where I can know everybody. You're never going to know everybody. What you, what you have to be looking for and what we have to facilitate is, is a setting where you can really dig in with some people and know them and them know you and us hold one another accountable and us exhort and encourage one another and grow together. Not to get together just because we enjoy each other, not to get together just to talk about the ball game or to talk about our kids or our grandkids, but we, where we get together with the goal of stimulating spiritual growth. It's more than just coming to a 1030 service on Sunday morning. That's a primarily a vertical worship. We have to get outside of that into smaller groups where we can have this uh, horizontal worship as well. Some people come to church and leave before anybody can ever even talk to them. I know when I was pastoring, I would see people when I'm preaching in the audience, and I'd go, hey, I don't know them. They're new. And before I could, we could pray and I could get to the back of the building, they were in their car and gone. <laughs> And you hate that. And oftentimes they'd come back. But you, we've got to find a way to engage. We can't let that happen. We can't, you know, you've got to be ready when people are ready. But look, and other times people can come to church and they'll leave and they'll say, nobody even talked to me. And I always go, well, who did you talk to? See, because if you didn't talk to anybody, that means nobody talked to you and you didn't talk to anybody else. So everybody's guilty, right? But we think about ourselves, not others. So this builds relationship among us, and relationships are key. Now, in this passage in Acts, he talks about meals. He says they went house to house, and they shared meals. And let me tell you something. Meals, I believe, are key in building fellowship. That's why we have fellowship meals. They're important. In fact, we're going to leave here today and go to our home church. And there have, there's a fellowship meal right after service today. And I'll have time to leave here and go there and be a part of a fellowship meal there. It's important that we share meals together. Listen, I, I really believe it's impossible, nearly impossible, to have true fellowship, to have and true friendships within the church if you're not sharing some meals together. We see that the early church did it. I mean, you just read it. That's what they did. Many times, if you lack friends, you're eating alone too much. Invite somebody to the restaurant. Cook a meal, have somebody over. You know, we used to do that, didn't we? You remember? We, we used to invite people over and share our pot roast with them, right? And our potatoes and our carrots and macaroni and cheese. And a roll. Oh, man, I'm getting hungry now. I, I mean, we, you know, we used to do that. How many of us do that now? We don't, we don't do it anymore. We go home and we isolate ourselves. Invite some people over. Go out together. Sunday afternoon's a great time to do it. Everybody's going to leave here and likely go have lunch. It's an awesome opportunity to take advantage of. Very simple, but it will build fellowship among the church. It'll build fellowship in your life. But too often people come and they find a church and they find cliques and they find closed circles. 
and they find that everybody's already friends and there's not any room for me and they find everybody's already related and I'm not part of their family and it becomes very difficult. So we have to be very intentional about making sure that our, that our, our doors are wide open and not just the doors of the building but the doors of the church, the people, that we're wide open and that it's easy for people to become a part of the fellowship of the church, to have those fellowship relations. So just take meal time and begin to try to work meals into it. I think it's biblical. It's right out of the book of Acts. And I think that it will, in, it will increase the fellowship. Fellowship also builds unity. It builds unity. Psalm 133 tells us, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We often talk about community. Church is a community, and it is, that's biblical. But guess what it is? That's just common unity, right? That's all it is. We're united around something common. It's the same idea as fellowship. We're united around the gospel, the spirit, the sufferings. We're united around these things, and those things build this unity that we know is so important. Listen, Jesus prayed that we would be one. In John chapter 17, he said, Oh, Father, make them one as you and I are one. That's how important it is. That was his last prayer for his people, was that they would be one. And so church has got to be an atmosphere of love. It has to be an atmosphere of, I'm committed to love you. I'm going to love you, no matter what. I may not agree with you. We will have disagreements. But I'm going to love you. I'm committed to you. I may not always like what you do, but I'm committed to you. And I know you love me. That's a bond that won't be broken. You may not always understand each other. You may not always agree with each other. You're going to have new staff. You're going to have new pastors be a part of your fellowship. And you may not always agree with them, but you love them. And they love you. The church is about love. It's not about unity. It's not about personal preferences. That's what we get caught up thinking about ourselves. What do I prefer? And we live in a world that encourages personal preferences, right? I mean, we all have, um, we all have a, 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 one of these phones we walk around with, but it's a lot more than a phone, isn't it? And everything on it's personalized to you. You got the music you want. You got the videos you want. You even have the friends that you want there. And if you don't like that person as a friend anymore, just block them. <laughs> You're done with them. You move on. It's all preferential. It's preferences. But that's not the way the church is. See, it's not about our preferences. Because preferences don't build unity. Preferences cause disunity. See, we want customized Christianity. We want a designer faith that fits us. We want something, we want a, 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 a scratch for every itch that we have. And so we have our preferences and how we like the preaching to be or how we like the, when we like the small groups to meet or what kind of songs we like or what kind of music we like or don't like. And we're, we get all about our preferences. Listen, but preferences breeds disunity among God's people. It's not about you. It's about him and it's about us. And say home is sort of for your preferences. <laughs> you can have some preferences at home in the midst of your family at home husband, wife, children, whoever lived, grandchildren. But you can have more preferences there, but not in the church. So we'll all have our individual taste, our preferences. Of course we will. 
And there's nothing wrong with having those. That's why you have home. And you can be the leader of your home. But when you come here, you leave your personal preferences at home. And you seek the good of the body. You seek the good of the fellowship overall. You go, you know what, I lay down my preferences for the good of the kingdom, for the good of this local fellowship. You know what, it's, fellowship is key in the church. You, you're not going to have life without fellowship. We're just not. And it's a miracle. See, see, the miracle is not that we love God. It's really not. See, I, I preached all summer. You can preach all summer on love, and then we talked about the gospel. And look, the fact that we can love God, when you look at the gospel story, the gospel message, it's no miracle that we would love God because he reached down and pulled us out of a pit when we had no chance of our own, and you go, I love him. The real miracle is that we could love one another. That's the, tr that's the true miracle. Because when you look around and you see the faults that people have, and you see the issues people have, and you see the troubles that people have, you know, normally every other area of life, you take work, for example. When you have somebody that's a problem at work, what, what do we tend to do? You tend to move those people along. You, know, right? you get them transferred to another department. They get let go. They're a problem. We move those people on. We get rid of those people. But in the church, that's not what we're about. We're not trying to get rid of people with problems. We're trying to say, bring your problems and come on. Come on with your problems. And so we have to have unity in order to deal with all of that among ourselves. And fellowship builds unity. It builds it. We have to have the fellowship. Churches are known by fellowship or friction. I really believe that. People look at a church, and they, they may not call it that, but they go, man, that church has fellowship. Look at it. They're, they're together. Or a church is known by its friction. And the Bible tells us how to deal with friction. It tells us. I'm not preaching on that today, but it tells us how to deal with that. It tells us you do all you have to do to, do, to, to preserve unity in the church. You can't allow disunity to come. Have fellowship, and it will bring about the unity that we desire. You see, the early church saw this, and, and, and the message went further because of it. Because it goes on, and it says there were thousands, and then the, the Lord was adding to their number daily. Listen, it was their, it, it was their withness that they were with one another. It was their withness that made their witness go even further. They were so united they were so together, they were so with one another that their witness resounded further than it ever would before, than it could otherwise. See, the Bible talks a lot about one another. It says what we ought to do for one another. It says we ought to pray for one another, right? That's, part, that's fellowship. That's, that's, that's being together, one another. It says we bear one another's burdens. When someone's going through something, you're going through something with them. And by, when you go through something, they're going through it with you. We journey together. It's something the world doesn't have. It's something the world can't give. It says that we be kind to one another. The Bible tells us to be tender-hearted with one another. And what did Jesus say in John chapter 13? He said, all men will know you're my disciples because of what? Because of the love you have one for another. 
See, it didn't say they'll look at our impressive building or they'll look at our great singing or they'll, look at all, they'll see all these great programs we've got. It says the people will know that you're my disciples. They'll know that, that you are my church. They'll know you're my people, that this is my fellowship. They'll know that. Why? Because you love one another. That's bringing life. That'll bring renewal into anyone's personal walk. That'll bring life into any church. We bear one another's burdens. I want you to go from membership to fellowship. I want you to go from, I want you to move from going to church to being the church. That's what it is. Coming together in true fellowship. Listen, everything in us fights that. We fight, we want to be private. Christianity is not private. We want everything to be personal. Look at Acts. It's not personal. It's corporate. They're, they're, they're in it together. And everything in society pushes you away from true biblical fellowship. It's, it's a ploy of Satan. We, we pushes us away from it. Listen, even technology pushes us away from it. Uh, it. Look, it's got its place. But listen, you can't one another with a screen. Y'all with me? You can, you can listen to some good teaching, some good preaching, but you're not going to one another looking at a TV screen or a computer screen. That's not fellowship. Now, we can use those things to enhance our fellowship, but that's not fellowship. We have to dive in with one another, and it will bring growth to you, to you and to the church. It'll bring unity. It'll bring relationships that matter. It'll get us below the superficial and it'll get us into the depths of, of the root system of his church. Let's pray together as we wrap. Today I would ask you just right where you're at, are you part of the fellowship? And I would measure that most of you probably, the question is, are you part of this fellowship? Some of you may be guests here today and this is your first time or you're new, that's fine. But for many, many of us, maybe we've been driving to this location on Sundays and other times for years and years and years, months and years. And Are you really part of the fellowship? Or do you just attend the event? You see, we want you to move beyond that to go a little deeper. Smoke Rise has, has great opportunities for fellowship, for Bible study, for prayer, for support, for love. This is a loving church. We're not going to let anything change that. Nothing. This is a church that's unified in purpose. And we must protect that unity at all costs. And that means laying down our personal agendas, our personal preferences. That means opening up our lives to other people so they can learn from us and we can learn from them. It's more than just walking in and walking out. Today we're building a foundation that's going to bring life. If you feel dry, if you feel like you want to be part of bringing life to the body, to this church, then flame the fellowship. Flame the coals of fellowship. Today maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe this seems a little odd to you. You go, I don't even really understand that. Well, you really won't understand it. 
you really won't understand it until you're in on it. We invite you to know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe today you've walked away from God. Maybe you're distant from Him. And you need to fellowship with Him vertically. And then fellowship with others horizontally. We would call you to that today. Make those steps. Look up and then look around. Today we'll open the altar. Maybe you want to come and do business with God personally. Maybe you want to come today and pray for our church. We open the altar for any of those. If you need someone to pray with you, you can come to me or one of our other elders or pastors, and we would love to pray for you. Lord, use this time for your glory. May we respond to the way you have called us. Nothing more, nothing less. May we do exactly how you have, your spirit has moved in our heart, our life, and our mind today. In Jesus' name.